This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Christian Bush is a professor at NYU and the London School of Economics and the author of Serendipity Mindset, the art and science of creating good luck. We often view moments of serendipity or happy accidents as situations that we play no part in and can't control or influence. But through his work, Christian became fascinated with the idea that luck may not always be circumstantial. And in fact, we can train ourselves to see something in the unexpected to make those accidents more meaningful and more frequent. According to Christian, what's important is not only how we engage with these moments, but how tapped in we are to what we most want out of life so that we can transmute them into real opportunity. In my talk with Christian today, we discuss how we can best exercise our serendipity muscle and whether or not extroverts have a leg up in the happy accident race. There's so often these kind of situations where, in a way, it was that mixture between working hard and then being open to that moment of opportunity. Okay, let's get to my conversation with Christian Bush. Can you define what serendipity is and why it's different than synchronicity or luck or any of the other things that we might associate it with? Yeah, no, that's a great question because that's actually what made me really excited about that this kind of idea that in a way when we look at life, a lot of times we think about blind, you know, we think about this luck that just happens to us in terms of if we inherit something or if we are born into a loving family. But actually serendipity being all about smart luck, this kind of active luck where it's all about saying, oh, there is something unexpected, but I have to do something with it. It's not enough to just sit next to someone in a coffee shop, spill the coffee. If you've sent some kind of connection there, uh, you actually have to talk to the person. You have to do something with it. Uh, and, and so I'm really curious about this question of how do we essentially train ourselves to see something in the unexpected 
And so to make more meaningful accidents happen, but also to make accidents more meaningful. Yeah. And it's funny because there are many points in the book that where I related in the conversation about introversion or extroversion, etc. But the main thesis seems to be that people who engage are the ones who are who can benefit the most from serendipity. Those who have a lean back life approach or maybe a more negative point of view are the ones who miss the opportunity. I loved that study that you write about where it's two people walking towards a coffee shop. Can you sort of explain what that was about and what the missed opportunity and gained opportunity was? Yeah, and it's absolutely one of my favorites as well, because it so clearly shows how much it is about how we frame the world and how we look at the world. And so in that kind of setup, it was really saying, hey, look, let's take one person who self-identifies as extremely lucky. So the kind of person who thinks that luck always happens to them, and they would say things like, oh, every day something good happens and X, Y, Z. Of course, there's also bad times, but in a way, they would consider themselves to be lucky. And then the other person is the kind of person who would say, oh, bad things always happen to me, accidents always happen to me, and, and so on. And so then they say, okay, you two walk down the street, go into the coffee shop, sit down and have a coffee, and then we'll have an interview. That's it. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras across the street, that there's a five-pound note in front of the shop, and then there's only one chair in that shop that's or in that coffee shop that's not yet taken. And so essentially the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside, orders a coffee, sits on that chair. And next to that chair, there's this extremely successful businessman. And so he starts that conversation with the businessman, they exchange business cards in the end, and and that's that. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, goes inside the coffee shop, orders the coffee, also sits on that chair, the other person's left, ignores the businessman who can make a lot of dreams happen and uh, essentially waits until the interview arrives. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, like, how was your day? And so the lucky person says, it was amazing. I found money in the street. I made new friends. And probably there came a, a new opportunity out of that conversation. The unlucky person just said, nothing really happens. And we've probably all seen that in our lives, that some people around us face exactly the same situation. I see that a lot when I look at friends couples, for example, who might meet the same people. They might have the same kind of constellations happening, but actually one of them seems to have a bit more luck than the other, maybe by the way of how they ask questions or the kind of energy they have with people. But it's, it's really fascinating to see how in the same situation, two people can have completely different experiences. Yeah. And you talk about how serendipity maybe favors extroverts, right? Because they're the ones who seem to be most inclined to gather their energy from engaging with the world, striking up sort of aimless conversations with strangers. But your point is that it can be cultivated for introverts as well. Or do you think it's just so predominantly something that extroverts benefit from more? It's interesting because I would consider myself this kind of closet introvert where I seem extremely extrovert. I go to events, I have a spike of extroversion, but actually then I have to hide away for hours to gain my energy back. And so I related both to the more introvert and the more extrovert kind of tendencies. And what I've seen with myself and with people around me and also in our work is that in a way serendipity, the beauty of serendipity being that yes, quite a few of the qualities that more extrovert people have being that to be more outgoing, to keep in touch with more people, to 
maybe follow up differently, like those kind of things potentially has a great effect on creating more potential coincidences or potential positive coincidences. But actually, introverts also have a huge role to play a lot of times in, in two ways. One is that they a lot of times help the extrovert type person to make sense out of encounters. So you might see that with couples a lot where the person's out there and has opportunities happening. And then the introvert partner helps them a little bit with the filtering and, and those mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, but also that's the second and the more important one being that serendipity a lot of times has a longer incubation time. So it's, you know, these kind of moments, Eureka in the shower on the Saturday morning, that is coming because our brain has been working on some kind of ideas for some time. It's not just this moment that just happened. And so introverts are extremely good usually at having that reflection, giving things thought and, and diving deeper into themes. And so a lot of times, actually, a lot of the qualities that introverts have can also be extremely useful. And the book really says that for both kinds or across the whole spectrum in a way, if we probably all have aspects of both, that across the whole spectrum, there are ways of how we can train that serendipity muscle. And also depending on how comfortable we feel, for example, talking with people, there are also other ways, right? One way is, of course, if I go to an event or a virtual event nowadays, and that I myself make connections, I myself ask questions and so on. But another way also is to, for example, have ambassador people like hosts or others whom we tell at the beginning about what we're excited about, and they in a way spread the word for us. So in a way, we can also get other people to do that job for us if we smartly do it. And so I feel there's something for for everyone. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, You know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I'm also an introvert, and even though I have a pretty outward role, but same thing, like I can do it in bursts, and then I need to go and hide. I find it so overwhelming. And I find conversations with strangers to be a little overwhelming too. But I do find as an introvert, like my serendipity's superpower, if you will, is in being able to synthesize information. But do you find like with extroverts, with people who are out there in the world continually making these connections with other people, that these extreme networkers, is it hard? And you mentioned that an introvert can help them filter Do you find that people spend their whole lives making these connections rather than, is it almost an overwhelm of serendipity? How do they cull that down? How do you find out which serendipity is really the most meaningful? Yeah, that's actually something I've been struggling with myself in terms of when I have these streaks of extroversion 
and you have all these potential thing, things emerge and all these potential options that could happen. And then essentially finding a filter for that. And one of the things that I found interesting in, in our research, particularly, but also then in, in my own life, is this kind of idea of developing a certain sense of direction that helps us to connect the dots to something. So if serendipity is all about seeing something in the unexpected and then connecting it to something that we care about, something that's meaningful, some kind of problem, if it's all about that connecting the dots, it makes it much easier if we have some kind of sense of being that purpose, being that a core curiosity, being that something that guides us a little bit in terms of saying, okay, this is something I want to take on and this not. If you take someone like Paul Pullman, for example, who was running Unilever for a long time, and if you would run into him and say, oh, like, I have XYZ idea, he would only take those ideas that really fit into his idea of, I want to build platforms for people who can actually make their ideas happen and, and have some kind of meaningful impact and, and help those who can't help themselves. And so it's really that idea that he would have a lot of serendipity in his life, but actually, he would only react to those kind of serendipitous moments where he feels it relates to his kind of mission. And But really, that kind of like, to me, has been a, an extremely valuable filter to say, what are the core themes that, that I find important to which it could, could relate to? But also more pragmatically, doing things like journaling, where you write down the most interesting three or four things that happened today. And then you look at it tomorrow again and think about what is really relevant or, you know, these kind of things that in a way make us select a little bit more what those kind of opportunities could be. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so does this this sort of idea of like figuring out what it is that you want or what it is that you're craving and then creating more chances for that to happen. Like I remember a friend of mine met her husband shortly after she decided that she was going to say yes for a month. She was going to say yes to every invitation. And so she went to some party that she wouldn't have otherwise gone to and met her husband and happily ever after and all of that. But it's, I guess, in the context of like, really, and maybe that is the hope or point of writing things down is to really distill it into what you are seeking so that you can do a better job of matching that to what's available. Exactly, exactly. And, and also then in a way, almost doing iterations of exactly what you just mentioned in terms of what are the kind of things I say yes to. So for example, one of the entrepreneurs that I've been working with closely, he went through all these different iterations of first saying yes to everything because he would be very early stage and he would be saying, okay, for this point, I don't really know yet what I actually want and I have to rubber stamp forward. So I just go everywhere. And then at some point, once it became clearer, oh, this is the kind of direction I want to go to, then he would much more selectively say, okay, these kind of events are the events I will say yes to versus no. And so it's really also this, and I feel like this is one of the real beauties of serendipity in terms of saying that it allows us also to explore the different potential selves we could be, the different potential selves. So for example, one of my favorites is this idea of uh, setting hooks where you essentially say, okay, if you would ask me, or if you would ask Ollie Barrett, for example, who's a wonderful kind of community builder in, in London, if you would ask him, what do you do? He would not just say, I'm doing X, Y, Z. He would say, I am an education entrepreneur, but what I'm also interested in is science. And what I'm currently super passionate about is playing the piano. And so what he does here is he gives you three potential hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. I just started piano lessons or these kind of things. And so I'm super fascinated also by this idea of how do we turn this around so that others mm -hmm. help us have more of this, especially when we are not the kind of most extroverted type of person. Yeah, exactly. And as that age old question of what do you do? is the worst question of all. 
time. (laughs) So funny when I think there's so many points in the book, like when you were talking about networking events, which I know you also have an aversion for, like that makes me want to stab my eyeballs out. Mm -hmm. Even I just, I have this tightness or reflexive shutdown to even cocktail party or dinner party. I don't want to talk about my job. You know what I mean? Like I don't but I can be warmed out of it. But it is really an art. And it's something I'm super conscious about. And then in a way self conscious about because I feel like it's not as warm as I feel like I actually am. I found that fascinating during the COVID time. Now I'm here in New York, and we were completely shut down for some time. And it was the first time as someone who's traveling quite a bit and um, to be really local and to be really the only people I would bump into would be my neighbors or it would be the person in the supermarket. And it made me really also go much deeper into what kind of questions or what do I actually say to the person in the supermarket? Like, how do I ask them questions where it could also be somehow interesting for both of us? Or how can I, when I, you know, reconnect with old friends, like how do we have conversations that go beyond the kind of just checking in. And and I feel by just having small tweaks to the questions we ask, even with existing relationships, we can make them so much deeper, but really focusing on at the moment, we're all going through a very similar process. So I had COVID in March and it was a fascinating reminder of how fragile everyone is and, and, and how all of us are constantly trying to figure out how can we wing this whole thing. And so I feel it's a, it's a beautiful excuse to connect with everyone, especially with old friends on a much deeper level. Yeah, I'm glad you're feeling better. First of all, I found that quarantine, because being in LA, we've been in it now with the early shutdown and now being shut down again, that I really like for me, it has been such a reminder of my introversion where I'm like, this is very alarmingly comfortable for me, where I'm certainly I'm not missing cocktail parties. I'm not missing any of that in a way that's a little (laughs) startling for you. Was it the same or how are you and how what have you seen in terms because obviously you wrote this book and most of your research is done has been done during normal quote unquote normal times. So how are you seeing people create serendipity or engage in ways that are meaningful or are we in a serendipity less period? And that's the point. Yeah, it's interesting because my two kind of inner selves relate completely, both the introvert side and the extrovert side. The introvert side to exactly that in a way we got a lot of kind of potentially uninterrupted time. That's very different, of course, if you have kids at home or so. I feel that there's a deep injustice built into that, no, in terms of that some of us who are introverts, I can sit here as a, as a quasi-introvert and I'm completely uninterrupted. I schedule my calls for the afternoon. And so that's wonderful because I get actually work done like that is more conceptual that is more creative versus colleagues of mine who don't have that privilege of having that uninterrupted time have very different kind of experiences of that where even introverts feel they just want to break out but the uh, extrovert in me is, is definitely has been looking a lot into exactly those questions how do we in those kind of moments which usually would bring us serendipity like in the supermarket sorry in the coffee shop or in the kind of the water cooler moments where we have this random conversation with a colleague and come up with this idea and that kind of always brings some kind of sense of belonging and connection as well that that of course has changed a little bit but what i found fascinating is that a lot of companies that i've seen for example they've built in things like social roulettes where they would randomly mix up people within the company 
to have an hour together over lunch where you sign up and you say, okay, I'm free 12 to 1. And then you get matched up with someone in the company randomly and you get two or three inspiring prompts about what, what you could talk about. Uh, but essentially the idea is it's, it's almost like it's not forcing you to have dinner or lunch with a particular person. It's just saying, hey, look, let us like create excuses here that you can run into someone. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Then you just don't go further. There's a lot of these kind of setups also, I think, when it comes to everything from dating to just meeting people where people would host dinners for like eight people or something. And then whenever you connect with someone, you go into a breakout room and then like you, you continue the conversation there. And so it's, I feel like we're, we're trying to figure out ways virtually to replicate those kind of situations. It's of course, partly it sometimes feels a bit more forced, but also I've seen really interesting things emerge. But more importantly, what I really found fascinating is that I think a lot of things that are true in kind of physical life are true for virtual life as well. No? In terms of that every conversation can be serendipitous if we ask questions differently, if I don't ask you just what do you do, but if I ask you what's on your mind, those kind of things, and, and the way I, I essentially design my online conversations. So I feel there's also a lot of these kind of things that are true for usual life that apply here as well in that case. But to your point, it's certainly reduced a little bit. Um, and for someone like me who thrives on energy of others, it's certainly not been easy because you do miss that kind of physical moment of, of bumping into someone. Yeah, no, for sure. But I think it will be a time when we emerge out of it and certainly probably happening during it of creativity. I loved this quote. It's from Ford Institute founder Adam Grodecki. And you write that his point is that many good ideas and good leaders are growing in solitude, not in busyness, and that we often mistake being busy for being productive. And that when you're too busy, you're also shutting down you're shutting down the pathway to sort of a more serendipitous future because you're missing the cues or you don't have the, the time to follow up on them. So I do think hopefully it's like in this stillness, which as you noted is a little bit more, a little, there's a submania to it for parents. I have two young kids, so there's that. And I'm not, I'm dreading the return of the school year, I have to say, but that hopefully it's giving us a an opportunity to also not only have less busyness and fewer distractions, but then figure out what we want to create in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's something I've, I found extremely beautiful also in terms of when people try to, I guess, also look into what is the bigger picture here in terms of maybe I, I've seen that a lot with my students, for example, who in a way they had, their, they had their life mapped out. They were like, oh, great, I do this internship, then I do this career, then I do this. And now all of this has been put into question, the internship fell through and so on, and really reframing it into an opportunity to say, why did I assume in the first place that I need to go into XYZ area? And really evaluating a little bit also, what is it in life that really feels meaningful? And it really comes back to this, how some people have their their Bible to their next to their bed. I have my Viktor Frankl book, which is the kind of <laughs> search for meaning book. He survived the Holocaust. He was in the toughest of situations in a concentration camp uh, that you can ever imagine. And what he tried to do during that period is to say, how can I in every moment still find some kind of meaning that I can still talk with this one person and because I talk with them, they feel better about themselves. And that is some kind of meaning that you create or these kind of things. And I've seen that a lot with people around me that by essentially focusing on others a little bit, seeing how you can contribute also to the well-being of the older neighbor or whatever it is, like to really in a way also go back to what is it really when we will be on our deathbeds with 80, 90, 100 or modern medicine, maybe 150, what will be the kind of things that we will or will not regret? And a lot of times people would always say, oh, 
I regret I didn't live true to who I really am. I regret that I didn't buy or build meaningful connections or meaningful relationships. And I feel at the moment, a lot of times, it's almost like a collective near-death experience where we're like, oh, wow, like what is really important versus what is not. And so I do agree with you that there's this, it's almost an opportunity to go inward a little bit and, and to really reflect and to not only be in that kind of running mode, while at the same time, it seems people got even busier in, in their jobs. It's a fascinating kind of dynamic. But, you know, also it's fascinating how much creativity it brings out to your point in terms of how you can, how you see how breweries, because they can't sell to restaurants, they turn into hand sanitizer companies or snow cannon companies turn into kind of uh, distribution for like large scale kind of uh, sanitizing things. And it's, it's just fascinating how then real ingenuity comes out. And a lot of my work has been in, in sub-Saharan Africa in very resource-constrained environments. And that's where the real innovation happens because you're forced out of necessity to be really innovative. And, and that's where the really interesting necessity-based uh, serendipity happens then. Yeah, no, I completely relate. And I, I it has to be a terrifying, I mean, no, it's terrifying and frustrating time for many. And it has to be a really frustrating time to both be in college and then also emerging from college. And I graduated in 2002. So during a downturn, and I was just thinking about this the other day, I went to Yale, and I was a English and fine arts major, and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I didn't, I felt no pressure to figure it out, in part because at that time, Goldman and all the banks were essentially just hiring anyone who was willing including liberal arts majors like me. My brother was a comparative religion major and he went and did M&A. So I was like, oh, I'll just do that. And many of my friends applied to law school for the same reason, because it felt like some sort of guaranteed future. And many of them then abandoned the law and like a whole big brouhaha about the sunk paying off bills, those decisions that we make because we're terrified. So in a way, I almost feel like it's as hard as it is there's a huge benefit. I graduated and couldn't find a job for a while. And it made me appreciate the job that I did ultimately find more. But it also forced me to figure out the things that I really thought would be the most interesting. And then, I guess, create the serendipity to start making that happen rather than just going with it. Because I could be an investment banker, which is hilarious. But that was the trajectory at the time. Yeah, and that's a beautiful illustration you know, in terms of how much potentiality there is in, in, in life, you know, in terms of how many different routes you could have taken. It somehow reminded me of this, like Gwyneth actually, when like they did this sliding door movie where, you know, this kind of movie where of essentially like this woman runs to the subway and, and, and kind of it splits into two scenarios. She catches the subway or not. And, and in one scenario, she finds her boyfriend cheating. In the other one, she comes a bit later and, and she doesn't find him cheating. And so scenario one essentially, you know, improves life because she breaks up, she finds someone new and has a wonderful life. Versus scenario two, you're just essentially living with that person distrustfully and so on. And I feel a lot of times in life, that's what I find most fascinating about serendipity in terms of when you think about these kind of counterfactuals, what could have happened? What could have happened if XYZ moment wouldn't have? So that kind of coffee shop moment that we talked about earlier, if you run into someone and you... you you, you, you connect the dots versus not, or to your point, if you are in a financial crisis, same with me. Like I, I graduated in, in kind of 2007, 8, 9, that kind of financial crisis period. And it was similar that in a way, there's one door that closes, but then actually 20 other doors at some point open up after a tough period. But in a way, that's also something that conversation I've had a lot with 
my students here around, like how do you in a way take the kind of long-term perspective in the sense of you still have 60 years to live and unless there's deep financial pressure on you at the moment, like this is an opportunity for you to, to exactly your point, look at what is it really that, that could happen, but also to plant a couple of seeds and to, I'm a big fan, for example, of these serendipity minds. So in a way that you now could be the time for people to send out these random emails to old contacts or to on LinkedIn, this kind of email function where you just can contact people who inspired you with like very honest, you know, open, hey, you've been inspiring me. Um, thank you so much for the inspiration. Just wanted to flag if there's ever X, Y, Z. Not pitching, but really just like honest messages. And I find it fascinating how often then people reach out like after two or three months because they remember a person who somehow left a mark. And so I feel a lot of times at the moment, if we can put ourselves on the radar of people in terms of via conversations, via some kind of interesting email or whatever it is, they can, again, connect the dots for us at some point. And so um, I feel for that, it's a really interesting period. And that's exactly, it sounds like what you did in, in terms of that you were seeding a couple of interesting things and then something interesting happened serendipitously probably. But then in a way, you you worked for it. You worked for that serendipity to happen. Yeah, no, for sure. I sent out tons of emails, tons of resumes, calls, asked, which was really hard for me to do, as mentioned, because I'm not an introvert, but it was an imperative and it led me to where I am. And I like, too, that I've certainly had a life of privilege to some extent. I went to a really fancy university, et cetera. And you could say that I have some, you know, semblance of talent for what I do. And you write about this in the book. My defining quality is my work ethic. I am super driven, maybe compulsively, but it's not I don't sit back, right? Like I am constant, I'm driving forward. And and so you sort of talk about that too, that we shouldn't be too impressed by people who appear to excel because often they enjoy the early luck of the draw or, and, and from that baseline, they become disproportionately more successful, but that also really we tend to overvalue talent when it's really hard work that tends to distinguish people who who get far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that I found most fascinating you know, in terms of if you think about a lot of our research has been around that question of when you look at people over time, like where do they end up and what happens with them um, and how do they shape, for example, purpose within organizations or, or things like that. And what's fascinating about this is that a lot of times the people, to your point, like who end up really high, a lot of times there was some kind of moment where it probably was some kind of serendipity happening and that happens because they worked for those kind of moments to happen because they had that work ethic or they had that kind of thing. So, for example, in that moment, there's this one story that this person who didn't find a job, he had a lot of rejections. And then essentially he worked in retail. He worked in a kind of shop where he was helping sell some cars. And then he, he would still take that really seriously. And he would say, look, whatever, I do it properly. And so he would work and work. And then there would be this person coming in and say, hey, look, like, you have a great like energy. You, you, that's a great way of how you're doing it here. Like maybe we might have a job for you here, and in, in a kind of like exactly the, the type of job he wanted to do in a much more senior position. The, the point being that there's so often these kind of situations where, in a way, it was that mixture between working hard and then being open to that moment of opportunity. But then when the really big breaks happen, a lot of times these people who, like predict that Trump would win, or people who predict the weather for an exact day it's rarely that they can do that again. And so it's really these type of things where really differentiating between those people who actually 
you know, that person working hard or you in your case working hard, that serendipity would have at some point happened. If it wouldn't have happened with that person, it would have happened uh, like a couple of months later. But then again, like if I predict one thing the right way, it doesn't mean anything for the next time because a lot of times it was probably just a kind of luck of the draw type thing where you didn't really work for it. You just were lucky. Maybe this isn't a very interesting aha moment, but when I, in my first job, my first real job after college working in magazines and I was having a, a moment or a period of misery, I had a kind of an abusive coworker and I was just sitting there in a little bit of a victim state. And then I had, I was like, no one's going to reach down and pluck me out of this. I've got to put myself in motion. And I did. And I continued on my path. But I think that too is where we often get stuck, which is in this. And I don't know whether it's because my generation, like we grew up with this, the primary TV, not even the primary, but there wasn't as much TV. And a lot of it was like talent search, right? Or model scouting, or this idea that someone someone was going to see you and discover you and propel you to fame and glory. And I think that was one of the sort of prevailing myths, like this is before the internet and TikTok and all of that. And it was this aha moment of, oh, no, that's not how life works. And at the back, you give this long list. I think it's 38 qualities of people who are good at cultivating serendipity. So it's certainly something that you can do, right, or cha- or, or cultivate more of in your life. What do you think of these 38, if you can remember them off the top of your your head? I have them in front of me, but... What do you think? Are they all of equal value or, and I can list a few just to give people an idea of what they are. Like, I trust my judgment. I am well connected within the groups and organizations that I am part of. I put myself into another person's shoes to try to understand a situation. I believe that nothing is set in stone. Are they all equally important? Yeah, it's interesting because I come from Germany. Like I'm used to exactly what you just mentioned, that kind of idea that you can map out life, that you make a plan and that there's a career track then, and then you apply to that, and then you go through the through the trenches, and then you will rise up. And, you know, so in a way, a lot of things really being mapped out for you. But in a kind of world that is so fast changing, that's so uncertain, the unexpected happens all the time. And so I feel like the, the one of the core that comes out in a lot of these kind of exercises is to say, how do we set ourselves up for seeing something in the unexpected and not seeing it as a threat, but seeing it as an opportunity and then really creating something around it? And so I think like a lot of the other things a lot of times build on this because then we can see serendipity differently. We can have different types of conversations because it's those moments where something doesn't go how we planned it. Um, but we still do something with it. And so one of my favorite examples, for example, is, you know, how in, in a lot of like organizations, being that companies or being that kind of our own, even like family, like how we plan our trips with, with kids, whatever it is, like in a way we have this plan and we want this plan to go through because we planned it and we feel this is what should happen now. And then a lot of times something unexpected happens and now we have two options. We can say, oh, now everything's going down the drain or we try to ignore it. We can say, you know what, maybe it leads us into a nice direction. And so there's this, this um, kind of company in China that I've been doing a lot of work with And they do all these kind of things like refrigerators, washing machines, and they got calls from farmers. And the farmers called them up and they said, you know what? Your washing machine always breaks down. Why does it always break down? And so the company asked, well, what what are you doing with it? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes with it. 
And, you know, this is something where, you know, what would we usually say is like, hey, look, like this washing machine is not made for potatoes. So don't wash your potatoes in this, right? This is what we tell kids. This is what we tell everyone. Don't do X, Y, Z, because this is not what's supposed to be. That's not supposed to how the plan is of life or of, of this kind of washing machine. But essentially, they did the opposite. They said, you know what? This is unexpected. But you know what? There's a lot of farmers in China uh, who probably have the same problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And so that's how the potato washing machine emerged, and it was nicely selling. The point is we see that in so many moments from um, look at all these kind of things like Viagra or other things that all came out of these kind of things that didn't go. But because you had people there who said, you know what, there is something in there that could help us that reframed it. So a very long answer to a very short question of yours, but I think a lot of the kind of patterns in those exercises around how do we learn to see the unexpected as an ally? So what's your, for people who are struggling or wanting to create more serendipity or feel like they're disconnected, how do you think that people who feel like they've been mired in a serendipity-less life, what do you think the first few steps are to start getting that flywheel going? Yeah, that's a great question because having that first step of sitting down first and, and reflecting on, and that's why I'm such a big fan of the serendipity journaling because it's really about saying, how do I sit down and reflect on what seems to be meaningful for me at this point in time and then inject myself into the kind of communities and the kind of groups or maybe even thinking about who are the five friends or two friends who could like in that areas have ideas or who could put me in touch with people or really starting small and, and doing that. Because yeah, I think a lot of the kind of exercises and things are, are based on this idea of at the end of the day, it's ideally a serendipity that somehow relates to that journey that, that we feel is comfortable about yeah, like, yeah. in terms of where we, where we would ideally have a story of self that makes sense for us. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Christian Bush. For more on his work, pick up a copy of his book, The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.